Hey South Hills, this week as Thanksgiving approaches, the last thing on our minds might be all that we have to be thankful for. We can all agree that the last year, the last two years really, haven't been easy. We've all faced circumstances in our lives that didn't make sense or that they felt unfair. But in all of this, God is still constant. When the circumstances we are facing feel impossible, He's always working behind the scenes. Just because we can't see the solutions to the challenges we are facing, doesn't mean God isn't right in the middle of the difficult moments with us. Sometimes the best thing that we can do in these situations is shift our mindset towards gratitude. And so this week, I wanna extend a challenge to all of our South Hills campuses. I wanna challenge us to memorize one verse, Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six, and it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Help change your mindset towards the things that God is doing in your life and find the joy and find the gratitude even in moments that we felt that were out of our control. Amen, amen. Good morning, South Hills. It is uh, good to be here with you all. If you're visiting us for the first time or watching us online, we want to welcome you. My name is Ephraim Pena. I'm the campus pastor here at South Hills Santa Clarita. A couple of things before I jump into uh, today's message. I want to just jump on uh, the message, Frankie, uh, the piggyback on Frankie's announcement there about our Christmas boutique. Uh, I'm super excited about it. It is actually not a church event. We don't want to token it as a church event. It's actually a community event. It's our way of getting out uh, from within our four walls and going out and and uh, inviting our community to partake into something that uh, we believe is going to be really, really cool. And so over 40 vendors are, are already signed up and reserved. There's going to be food. There's going to be a hot chocolate bar is the phrase that Frankie was going after. Uh, 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 with all of the fixing, we had a kid play area uh, for kids to actually hang out and play while parents, mom and dad shop around. Uh, we have so many vendors from uh, small businesses, local businesses, uh, artisans that are coming. Uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to highlight them through our social media so you kind of get an idea of uh, some of the vendors that will be here. But we're super excited about it. There's going to be a Christmas photo booth uh, where you can take pictures uh, with you and your family. So here's the thing. We need you to invite. We've been already, we've invested in uh, doing uh, paid advertisement. Uh, the vendors are advertising on their end. Uh, and I know some of you have already taken uh, some of the flyers but uh, we have some extra flyers for you uh, at the Connect booth that you can pick up and actually take it to your job, right? Bring all your friends, your neighborhood, your community. Uh, drop it off, as Monica mentioned last week, at your local coffee shop. Uh, pin it up to the board there. Uh, we want our community to know that there's a church here, right here in the city of New Hall, in the city of Santa Clarita, actually, uh, that is uh, doing an event like this for the entire community, opening our doors, wanting to welcome them and love them, right? And it's also a two-fold thing because not only do they get to uh, several, there's a lot of good good things that happen. Not only do they get to do their Christmas shopping here all in one place, they get to help uh, local small businesses, you know, uh, put food on the table, roof over the head and all of that fun stuff. But we also get to invite them 
Invite them to Christmas at South Hills, which happens to kicks off the very next day. And so this is a great opportunity for us to invite, invite. You don't have to have relationships with people to invite. You can actually take the uh, tag and share our social media posts and invite it to all of them. I have people that don't even know me that are writing to the church to be like, when is this? What street is it? What's the address? How do I do it? Can I be a vendor? It's been incredible. So we are super, super excited about this opportunity. The second thing I want you to do is, or I want to make an announcement, is I need you to pray for me, right? Like, no, really, pray for me, right? Because uh, um, if I didn't have enough things to do, I actually took on uh, an opportunity to coach high school uh, basketball. And uh, yeah, yeah. Wait, there's more, there's more. And if I didn't have enough ladies in my life, it was actually a girls' high school basketball team. Uh, now, now I have uh, another 11 ladies telling me what to do. Uh, and so our first game is this uh, Tuesday, and uh, uh, I am getting overwhelmed with anxiety uh, because uh, it's, uh, I haven't coached in a long, long time, and coaching Noah does not count um, because um, she has to do whatever I tell her to do. Uh, I'm her father. Anyway, um, but uh, I'm super excited and nervous at the same time. So pray for me as you go about your day. Uh, our first game is this Tuesday, and uh, we, don't, we didn't have enough time to prepare and be ready. Two weeks is just not enough. Anyway, so with that being said, now you have something. I, I don't ever know how to pray for my pastor. Well, now you do. That's how you can pray. All righty, let's jump into this uh, morning's message as we continue in this incredible series, God Never Said That, right? This is a series based on the correction of Christian cliches. We've all heard them. We've all uh, said them before. Understanding that the most, right, understanding that most of our thinking is held together by short, sticky statements that help us make sense of things in life. And so what do we do? We repeat them, we post them, we share them with others, right? And because they're so common and popular to us as Christians, as, as Christians or as believers, we assume, we make the assumption that they derived or they came from Scripture, that God put them in, into motion. But we've been learning over the last several weeks that Tupac is not God. Right? Uh, that was last week's uh, uh, cliche that only God can judge me. And I, even we left here, I heard some people pumping Tupac in the car, and I love how you kind of put that into play. I love the connection there. Right? And so if you missed last week, God can, uh, only God can judge me. You can catch it on our podcast and YouTube channel. But let's jump quickly right into our third cliche, and that is just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. Right? Just follow your heart and do what makes you happy. Ever said that before? Ever been told that before? Ever heard somebody say that before? Just follow your heart. You'll be all right. It'll be awesome, they said. On the surface, that, that sounds pretty reasonable to me. On the surface, right? After all, we've all known people who have felt trapped in certain situations, relationships, and jobs that they hated. Those things didn't reflect who they were or, the, or what they ultimately wanted out of life. They just sort of did what was expected of them or didn't know what they were in for or they were forced to do something by someone living vicariously through them. They were miserable and they felt suffocated and stuck. 
Listen, some of you may be feeling like that at this very moment in life. But the truth is, nobody wants that reality. Nobody, right? And if the antidote to ending up there is to follow your heart and do what makes you happy, then yeah, by all means, go after it. But the question here this morning is, is that really the anecdote to getting away from feeling the way you've been feeling? Is that really the best piece of advice to follow? Also, where does, where does this even come from? Did Tupac say it in a song? Right? No, he didn't say it in a song. Right? And at least... How did it become common and accepted? Why has it become so common and accepted in our culture? Let me read you something that Steve Job said in the commencement address to uh, the Stanford University class of 2005. And I quote, your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. And most important, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. Everything else is secondary. Now, when you read this quote, it, it, it can be a bit confusing. Because some of it is, is, is really great. In fact, godly even. But then there are other parts of it that make you kind of scratch your head and wonder, wait, is that really true? Is that really true? Is my heart and intuition the most trustworthy thing to build my life on? I want you to think about that for a second. Think about the decisions that you have made in life based on your heart and your intuition? And is it truly the best thing to build your life upon? Church, what I found to be true is that the best lies are half-truths. The best lies are half-truths. So what do people mean when they say just follow your heart? What do people actually mean when they say, just follow your heart? Let me explain this down or break it down a little bit. The idea is that your heart is, is this infallible internal guide that will never lead you astray. That it's pre-programmed gut-level GPS that will always lead you in the right direction, never get you lost, alert you when you're about to make a bad decision, and fill you with the peace and the joy, right, when you're on the track and following your unique path. We understand to follow your heart is this, this, this guidance system that will always benefit you. Always have your best interest in mind. But the catch is, <laughs> that's a lie. It's not true whatsoever. But you already know that. I figured it out in fifth grade. Did you ever do this? Did you ever fall in love during homeroom, right? And then pledge your love 
to one another at lunch, but were broken up by afternoon recess. And you told yourself, man, I, I will never, ever, I mean it, I mean it, I mean it. I will never, ever love again. I vow to never follow this deceitful heart for as long as I live. And you meant it. You absolutely meant it, at least until the following day when you met Maria. Your trusty heart led you to her. Friends, it turns out that our hearts shouldn't be followed as much as they need to be led. Our hearts shouldn't be followed as much as they need to be led because this has happened to all of us. It has happened to us with a friendship. It has happened to us when we declared a major. How many of you declared a major once, twice, three times, four times, even five? Before you left there saying what my wife said, I've studied so long to know what I don't want to do for the rest of my life. Maybe it was a job. Maybe it was a move or an investment. Of course, looking back, there were warning signs. How could something that feels so right be wrong? How could something that makes me feel so good be so wrong for me? Except it was. It was wrong for you. I find it all too interesting that we, we've all at some point or another have held, you know, our place and ground have had total peace in our hearts about the complete wrong direction or decision that we've made before. Yep, mm, this is how I feel. I feel so good about this. This is a winner. I'm telling you, this is a winner. I feel it in my heart. I feel good about this decision. Moments. Hours, weeks, months, years later, be like, what was I thinking? How could I be so wrong? What's up with that, church? Why, why does that happen? Well, first of all, what are we really talking about when it comes to our heart? In Greek and Hebrew thought, right, the heart represented the epicenter, the epicenter of our emotions and our impulses. In other words, the core where impulses and emotions came from, right? And it still does today. So following your heart essentially means allowing your impulses and emotions to steer your life. So you know, when we say, hey, let your heart, follow your heart. What we're actually saying is, man, I'm going to let my impulses and my emotions lead to every decision that I make in life. And so my question this morning is, is that the best idea that we've come up with? Is that the best thing for you in your life? To let your heart to let your impulses, your emotions <laughs> lead the way. I don't know about you, but my feelings can be pretty skittish and impulsive. One moment I'm up, one moment I'm down, one moment I'm hot, one moment I'm cold. It all depends how much I've eaten, right? It all depends on how much sleep I got the night before. 
It all depends if I got a game on Tuesday. It all depends on what my boss said to me. It all depends on what somebody thought of my outfit. It all depends on if someone invited me somewhere or not. And as it turns out, the Bible has a lot to say about the heart. And I want to warn you this morning that it's not that good. In fact, it is pretty downright scary if you ask me. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Woo! We don't even use that word wicked because it's too strong of a word. It is said it is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Basically, Jeremiah is saying, hey, listen, when you just follow your heart, it's going to get you in trouble. It's going to play you. It is going to steer you wrong. But I love him. She has my heart. Right? It's going to lead you in the wrong direction. We all know what it feels like to be drawn to something, but we don't always know why we're drawn to that thing. And that's the mystery of the heart. What is it that's so motivating? What is it that's so impulsive, right? What is it that's motivating our impulses and emotions to make a certain decision or to move in a certain direction. It's complicated. It's complicated. For the most part, here's what your heart is interested in and what it wants you to do, right? Your heart wants you to do what feels good, right? It's the pleasure aspect of it. Ice cream is so yummy. You should eat it every single day. It's the pleasure aspect of it. Your heart wants you to do what feels familiar, right? The predictability aspect. I know he deals drugs. I know that he's, a, he's not really good for me, right? But you know I'm into bad boys. He's so cute. He's so cute, right? Your heart wants you to do what feels interesting, the novelty aspect of it, right? Yes, you have a work proposal that's past due, but they just dropped season two. You got to watch it. Yellowstone dropped, by the way. It's just really good happening right now. Your heart wants you to do what feels validating, approval, right? Can you afford it? No, you can't afford it, but... How would it make you feel to have it? Oh, it will make me feel real good. Your heart wants you to do what feels safe, the security blanket aspect. Someone should say something, but not you because you need your job. So you pipe it. Stay in a corner, stay in your zone. Don't say anything because you still need your job. Notice Notice what's not on the list. Notice what's not on the list. It, what's, on the list what's not on the list is your heart wants you to do what is good. 
That's not on the list. Your heart wants you to do what is right. That's not on the list either. Your heart wants you to do what is wise and what is significant. Again, not on that list. And the real bummer is that even when we do follow our hearts, right, even when we do allow our emotions and our impulses to lead the way, these high, this high that we get, the satisfaction high that we get from it is all but temporary. It's just temporary. It's, it's only, it would only last for so long because if you're like me, you can never have enough safety. You can never have enough pleasure. You can never have enough approval. You can never have enough comfort. You can never have enough novelty. You can never have enough pizza. You see, it's the, the law of diminishing returns. Psychologists call it the hedonic treadmill or the hedonic adaptation. It's the tendency to quickly return to the same level of happiness despite whatever spikes of emotion you may experience. You want it more and more. You want it, that feeling over and over every single time. This is why our emotions and our impulses end up leading us to escalate way beyond what's actually healthy for us. Now, don't get me wrong. Emotions, emotions aren't bad. They're not, but allowing them to lead God and direct you is. Allowing them to kind of take you from point A to point B is bad. Because even though they're a part of you, they don't, they don't do what's holistically, holistically best for you long-term in mind. It only brings that immediate satisfaction, and then when it's gone, you're actually wanting to get more and more of it. And isn't that what drug addicts and, or addicts in general will do? They get this feeling, this, this moment, and they keep searching after it. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 15, For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. This is, this is from the heart. The one that you, you throw Cupid at, the cute little Cupid with his wings, and he throws uh, little arrows at. The one we put in the hearts and, and the cards, the one we go like this to, right? But this is the heart that the Bible speaks about. That from it comes evil thoughts and, and murder and adultery and lying and slander. Friends, imagine, imagine if your heart was a person, right? Imagine if your heart was a person, if someone introduced you to a person with these characteristics. <laughs> Would you let them make decisions for you? Would you let Mr. Heart make decisions that are birthed that have birthed evil thoughts and murder and adultery and lying and slander and theft. Oh, my. Would you blindly follow everything that they tell you to do? Absolutely not, Pastor. No way. No way. <laughs> but yes way. 
I know it sounds crazy, but we all do that. And it's always been this way. The book of Genesis tells us about the story of a man and a woman, right, living in a garden in which there was only one rule. You had one job. One job. You had one rule, Adam and Eve. You had one rule. Don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But the woman's heart, the woman's heart pulled her in the wrong direction. Genesis 3 says, you won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She was convinced, it says. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she slapped her husband over the head and said, you eat it too, you fool. I paraphrase just in case. And so he did. Her heart, friends, her heart told her that there wouldn't be any consequences for what she was doing. And even if there were any consequences, they wouldn't matter. You be good. It'll be all right. You'll be okay. It was only a little bit. It was only one bite. You're going to feel good. It's going to make you feel good. It's what you wanted. But her heart was wrong, friends. Her heart was wrong. And what's interesting to me is that we've all had similar experiences. Moments where you can almost hear the serpent whispering, don't listen to God. Follow your heart. You know what's best for you. You can keep it under control. Nobody's going to know. You got this. You can do it. Quote me. Take pictures of me. That's awesome. Put them on social media. That's incredible stuff right there. I actually make these things up. Right? You don't need to believe in the Bible. You don't need to believe in God. Follow your heart and do what makes you happy. (laughs) Gosh. Jeremiah says, man, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. Friends, we've all been tricked by it. We've all been led wrong by it. We've all fallen victim victim to it. This is why God said through an Old Testament prophet in Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Because God knew. He knew based on what the decision that Adam and Eve made of what was going to transpire. Maybe you're sitting here saying, Pastor, wait, if God, if God gives you a new heart, why can't you trust it? Well, that's a great question. That's a great question. Obviously, this is a metaphor, friends. But in a physical heart transplant for all of you MDs out there or wannabe MDs, right, WebMD, right, a common complication 
A common complication is something uh, in the heart transplant, it's something called the host versus the graft, right? This is where the body's immune system attacks the new heart because it, it, it perceives it as foreign and mistakens it as a disease. Spiritually speaking, when God gives us a new heart, when he invites us into his family and awakens us to his, his impulses and his emotions, our previous existing sinful nature sometimes attacks or rejects what God is doing. Sometimes it leads us the wrong way. And so we start our lives slaves to sin. And then we go, uh, then we give our lives to Christ and go to war with sin. One day, one day we will all be free from sin and be fully aligned with God in heaven. But until then, until then, we're locked, we're locked in a struggle with our hearts every single day. And every single day that you allow your hearts to make decisions for you, it's one step you take further from what God has for you. Because the heart is a deceitful thing. Ouch or amen. This is what the writer means when he says in Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not depend, do not rely, do not trust your own understanding because it will be wrong. I do not care how much of a scholar you are. I do not care how many books you read. I do not care how many times you watch Oprah or Dr. Phil or Ellen to get understanding in life. The Bible is clear. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Now, you don't have to do that. <laughs> this is this is suggestion from up here. You don't have to do that. And many people don't. You can follow your heart. Absolutely. You can follow your heart, but it won't end up it won't end up being as fulfilling as you had hoped. It won't be as awesome and fantastico as you thought it was going to be. Solomon, the guy who wrote this instruction, tried it himself. And he says in Ecclesiastes, it's not on the screen there, I'll read it real quickly. He says, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it to do? What good does it to seek? What good does it do to seek um, pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself up with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched that foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in the world. I also try to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruits. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. 
I also own large herds and flocks, right? More than, more than any of the kings who I lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all of my labors. But that's not just Solomon's story. That's, that's a lot of people's story. Church, listen, pursuing, pursuing happiness is statistically the thing that's least likely to make us happy. Pursuing happiness is statistically the thing that's least likely to make you happy. Happiness happens indirectly, meaning it's a byproduct of something else. It's a byproduct of something else. When we pursue it as the end goal to life, it proves elusive. So what is, what is, what is it a byproduct of? According to secular researchers out there, some of these prominent researchers, right? David Brooks said it's the pursuit of meaning, of truth, excuse me, of faith, purpose, and flesh and blood community. Emily Smith said it's uh, the pursuit of belonging, purpose, transcendence, and personal growth. Paul Bloom said it's meaningful pursuits uh, that require us, uh, excuse me, meaningful pursuits that require us to suffer and struggle and overcome difficulty to achieve. According to Johan Hari, it's meaningful work, values, commitment to friends, and contribution to the world. <laughs> and these are secular research. In other words, happiness isn't a result of relying on your impulses and your emotions to steer you toward uh, what feels good or what uh, is interesting or validating or safe. But you know what all of these secular researchers seem to be saying? They seem to be saying the same thing that Jeremiah said. They seem to be saying the same things that Jesus said, and that is to not let your heart lead you. Let me close this up this morning. So what do we do? The application part of it. What do we do? God's antidote to impulsivity and emotionalism, a.k.a. following your heart, in the scriptures is to pattern your life. Pattern your life after his divine wisdom and insight. The belief is that all wisdom, all wisdom ultimately comes from the creator of the heavens and earth and everything in it. That all wisdom comes from God himself, that he transmitted his wisdom to humanity, to us, through his word, through scripture, 
God said, hey, I'm the creator of wisdom and insight, and I want my people to know this, wins- this wisdom. And so I'm going to put it into Scripture, a word that they can understand so that they can read it and be led by it. But it gets better because the Bible says that he loved us so much that he sent us his one and only son. Listen to the way John says it in John 1. So the word, the word became flesh. The word became human and made, made his home amongst us. Made his dwelling place around us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John tells us that the Word, God's Word, his wisdom, his insight, his impulses, his emotions, once he tried to put in a form that we can read it and understand, actually became flesh. Which means God put wisdom in a person so that we can examine that person's attitudes and actions and models. Not your TV pop star, not your favorite athlete, not your mom or your dad, your grandparents, your BFF or your BFFFFF, not your TikTok personalities, but Jesus, Jesus. This is the entire premise of Christianity, church, that the wisest way to live is to base your existence, to base your blueprint of life on the person, the sacrifice, and the way of Jesus. In other words, friends, don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus. Don't follow your heart. Don't follow your friends. Don't follow your neighbors, your co-workers. Don't follow those people on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. Follow Jesus. How do we do that? Moving forward, only do what Jesus would do if he were you. Only do what Jesus would do if he were you. I'll give an example. Jesus run a ton of credit card debt to buy something that impressed others. Probably not. Would Jesus commit adultery because it was exciting and the attention felt good? No, he wouldn't. Obviously, there are situations that are much more complex and difficult to discern when what Jesus would do. And that's why, friends, you need to be connected to a community of people that will help you process through all of that. That's why here at South Hills, we preach doing life with other like-hearted, like-minded people. And if you 
don't have people around you that have permission to question whether what you're doing is wise and that their definition does not line up with what Jesus would do, then you're going to default. You're going to, to, to give into following your heart. And what does your heart want you to do? It wants you to do things that doesn't line up with the word of God. It wants to lie to you. It wants to lead you somewhere where you shouldn't be and do things that you shouldn't be doing. It wants you to follow what feels good, what makes you feel safe, what everyone is doing, what is predictable. And in the end, friends, your heart will lead you astray and life won't, won't play out the way God intended and purposed your life to play out. But if you follow your heart, right, if you follow, excuse me, if you follow Jesus instead of your heart, he will lead you toward the life that you were created to live, that you were purposed to live, that you were destined to live. Jeremiah 29 reminds us that he, he has a plan and a purpose for your life. One that is full of hope. One that is good. So don't let this make the decisions for you. Let Jesus lead you. Let him give you wisdom and insight and direction and lay out a path for your life. It's not too late. Allow him to take a hold of you and place you where he wants you to be placed. Allow him to tell you who he wants you to be with, what job he wants you to have, where he wants you to live, grow, and do in life. Amen?